excited to be here to worship with you guys. I was thinking this week just about what I studied last week in the fact that my life needs to be all about Jesus Christ, that it's not about the rules, it's not about the the regulations, it's not even about our traditions, it's about Jesus Christ. And I was thinking as I started reading through through the Old Testament again and getting to Moses and specifically thinking Moses had a huge call from God. God, God put a huge calling on, on his life to go and, uh, and take his people out of Egypt into the wilderness. And uh, Moses, first thing he says to God, came from fear and doubt. And he says, God, I am not eloquent. I am, I am not of, of good speech. I can't do this. I'm not equipped to do what you are asking me to do. And then I thought back uh, to, to Abraham and Isaac and all the times they messed up. I am so surprised. I'm not surprised because God is a gracious God, but it's so uh, fulfilling to me to know that God wants to use me because he loves me, not because I'm perfect, but because he loves me. And so we're here at Cornerstone to say it is all about Jesus and it's all about his grace that we are. This is a place that you can come. And as Jesus says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's awesome. Amen. So we can come together as we are. And Christ becomes our motivation to live holy lives, but we're not going to live perfect lives. That Christ is our redeemer. And we have freedom in him because we are forgiven. That is awesome. We stand here today. And if you are here and you're unsure of your relationship with Christ, he gives freedom. That's all I have to say. Jesus gives freedom. That is the best gift that we can receive in Christ is salvation and freedom and grace. That's awesome. I love that. So as we sing these next few songs, uh, the offering is going to come around, and we want to give with joyful hearts back to him. But I just want you to take this opportunity in the midst of what is going on in your life and rest in Christ in these moments. All right, good morning. We're excited this morning because we get to hear a little bit from Nate McCoy about a trip he went to, and, and these are some of the things we want to get excited about, that we want our church to be a part of, these mission trips, going out and preaching the word to people that don't know. We're privileged to get to have Nate because he's not yet playing on Master Sunday. <laughs> not yet. So we wouldn't normally get him here on a Sunday of Masters. A few years from now, he may, be, uh, he may be a little busy on this day. So we're privileged to get to have him here this morning. Another note, he did not punch Ashley in the face, if anybody's asking. I don't want anybody distracted by that, thinking we're listening to a guy who punched his wife. He did not. He didn't do that. So uh, I'm going to ask Nate a few questions about his trip, let him share with you. Nate, just tell us a little bit about where you went, who you went with, and, and what the purpose of going was. Um, yeah, well, uh, we went with, I guess there was two weeks of the trip. I was on the second week. Uh, the first week um, had about 50 people, and I guess our group had 50 people. I, I thought it was about 30. When we got there, there was people that kind of stayed for both. Um, so we had around 50 people, and uh, 
went to uh, Santo Domingo, um, Dominican Republic. Uh, we spent yeah, a week there um, kind of ministering and uh, you know, discipling people in the church and also going out and trying to uh, hand out gospel tracts, uh, speak the gospel to whoever that we could come across. I mean, if there was somebody on the side of the road, you know, we'd stop and talk to them and um, hand them a track. And, and uh, we spent a lot of time on campus um, just, uh, you know, meeting with anybody we could. And, and the cool thing about the Dominican Republic is everyone down there, at least they know who God is, or they, they believe in God, and they know who God is, and, which gives them a really soft heart towards what we have to say. And so, uh, you know, we'd hand them a gospel track, and immediately they'd want to open it and read it. And I think that's a little different than what was here in the United States. You know, we, people here, you know, you give it to them and they'll throw it away as soon as you look away. So it was really cool that, uh, you know, they were really open and they really wanted to know. And they kind of looked at us almost like superstars because we're Americans, I guess. And, and pretty much, you know, that somebody would come up to us down the street just wanting to just come up and talk to us. And, and we offered uh, on campus, we, off, we also offered uh, English classes that uh, we we taught using the Bible. And so, yeah, it was really cool. Um, you know, people from all over um, would come to these classes. And, you know, I think each person, each, I guess each American had at least three Dominicans that we would be teaching English to or, or you know, going to the Bible with. And, and it was just awesome to see. And uh, yeah, so that was kind of our main purpose, our main goal. Uh, I guess we also, you know, it was really big on discipling. We really wanted to, to build up the church and they, you know, there was people from the last few years that became Christians who still didn't have a church home. And so we were really trying to, to build them up, to teach them the importance of getting in fellowship, getting into, you know, the word, uh, praying, and just being in a community with one another. And that's something that um, down there that, you know, everyone, like I said, you know, everyone kind of believes in God, but they, they don't really know how to practically put that into use and how to, how to you know, well, even know what the Bible really says. And so that's kind of what we were down there trying to do and just try to build up a good, strong base that when we left, that would still be able to to continue what we did. And so that was kind of our, our uh, you know, our, our main purpose down there. So why don't you tell us a little bit about maybe the best experience you had while you were there? Yeah, well, uh, I have two. Um, one was, uh, I guess it was maybe the first, second night I was there. I, I, ran, I met a little kid. He was probably 12 years old. And... Uh, I guess they're considered that we were on this beach and we'd, we'd hand out tracks on this beach and, and these kids would live on this beach. They're, they kind of got kicked out of the home, you know, or this kid, this kid in particular said he was, his dad would beat him and his mom had passed away. So um, he just lives on the beach. He, you know, he just, he's, I guess he lived there for over a couple of years and uh, I became friends with him. And first thing he came up to me and he, he, he drew in the dust, uh, um, 100, he wanted 100 pesos because he wanted to buy new shoes. And his shoes didn't fit him. And I said, I'd, buy, I'd go give, I'd give him 100 pesos. I didn't have my billfold at the time, but I, I was going to give him 100 pesos. And there was this man uh, sitting down next to us. And he actually was from New York, but uh, he had a handgun on him and all that stuff. And he was like, you know, I was actually, I felt kind of safe with him next to me. But, <laughs> but he, he said, uh, don't, don't buy, don't give him anything. Just they're junk kids. Don't, you know, just don't mess with them. And, and, you know, me and this other girl who was kind of translating for me, you know, we were just kind of like, you know, this doesn't seem, this doesn't seem right. Like we should be able to do something for him, you know, and, and we kind of built this relationship up with him. And one day I went and bought him uh, some shorts instead because I didn't know what size shoes he wore and, and came back the next day and 
um, a few days later, I guess, and gave him the shorts. And he was just so, so happy. He was showing his friends. And we became really good friends with about five or six of these little kids. And uh, we, you know, taught them, you know, what God said about, you know, how he loves them and, and how uh, he taught them that, you know, they need to get into like, you know, like an orphanage or something, because there's there's some really good Christian orphanages down there that that were offering you know the help you know help these kids out and clothe them and feed them. They, the only food they would get would be our our cookies that we'd give them every day. And so um, it was really cool. But the kind of the story gets even better because when we went in town, we went into this this old city, and we met a police officer uh, who became a Christian um, literally uh, like the, that that day and and his family all became believers uh before we left and all got baptized and and the cool thing is at the beach oh this isn't cool but the, the cops there would beat the, you know kind of kick these kids around and beat them and stuff and and this cop who we met in um the city after he became a christian he he got transferred back to the beach and and he we talked to him and he met these kids and he wanted he you know he he said, you know, I really want to help these kids out. I want to teach them the Bible. I want to, like, read to them. I want to, you know, teach them English or teach them Spanish and, you know, teach them how to write. I want to watch these kids and make sure they're all right because they're our future, you know, and they're our, they're our future problem if we don't do anything about it. And so it was sweet to see, like, how God worked in that way that somebody who we met, you know, was able to come and, you know, be, a, you know, kind of like a father figure to these kids that, that don't have, you know, anything. So um, it was cool that we could... You know, we could trust that when we left that these kids would still be, you know, watched out for. Um, there also is another story of a, a kid, uh, which is kind of cool because uh, the language barrier down there for me was, was pretty big. I mean, I don't speak Spanish, but a few things. And I can say, you know, I have a gift for you or I have, you know, hola, and do you speak English? And, you know, if they don't, then I'd, I'd try my best. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's, uh, but this, it was cool because I met these two kids, uh, two college students, actually, um, sitting down near the library. And I uh, sat down and just started having a conversation with them. Then I was presenting the gospel to them. It took me about an hour and a half to get through what it would take in English five minutes. And so um, I was drawing pictures. I was doing everything I could just to try to get the idea that, you know, God came down. You know, he died for you and rose again. And if you believe in them, you can, you know, you can have everlasting life. You know, I was just trying to make it as simple as I could. And uh, what happened was about six or seven more people came around and sat around me, all wanting to listen to me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> and all our translators were, uh, were uh, taken, you know, right now. So I was, I was like, I was just, I was kind of panicking, but I was like, all right, this is sweet. You know, let's, let's do it. And uh, I was drawing pictures, like, as fast as I could, trying to, like, keep everybody there and interested and, um, there was actually a kid who um, um, wanted to accept the Lord after that, and uh, we talked to him, and, and uh, it was really cool. So, uh, But just seeing, it was funny because, you know, that stuff usually doesn't get me very emotional, but after, uh, you know, he accepted the Lord and wanted to change his life, I mean, it was just crazy, the emotions that you can feel when you just see somebody go from, you know, not knowing God, not knowing anything, to, like, being your brother. So it's really, it was really awesome. That's cool. So you, you mentioned about being safer with the guy with the gun. So yeah. were there any scary experiences while you were there? Yeah, this is a, some of you might know uh, or heard it, but uh, that same night that I gave that kid those shorts, um, I went down with the, there was another girl who's Ashley's best friend. 
and uh, you're walking back from the beach, and you're always supposed to, the women are always supposed to be with a man because just the danger level. And it was at night. Um, there was another girl that wanted to walk back with us because it's hard for the girls to walk back uh, when they want because you gotta wait for a guy usually. And so I was like, oh yeah, no problem. You know, I mean, I had my phone in my hand, and I was we were walking up this dark street, which is three blocks away from or three blocks away from where we we stayed in this hostel, and walking up this this hill in the dark street and these two motorcycles kind of go in front of us and there's there was four guys on them uh, which I didn't really even notice or think about until after this all happened but um, this one guy gets off and just sprints right at me and uh, kind of gets right right on me and grabbed my tried to grab my phone and tried to uh, pry it out of my hands and then kind of pushed me a little bit I thought he had a knife so I was trying to back away and I was like you know what are you doing what, you know and I I didn't. I, I, it's funny because in two seconds you can think like a million things, and I was thinking, I can't believe this is happening. Should I give him my phone? No, he doesn't have a knife, or maybe he does. And I, all this stuff was going through my head, and I, I eventually was able to kind of move away from him. And uh, then he tried to grab my backpack, which only had Bibles in it, so it would have. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of wish I should have just given it to him, but, uh, but uh, and there was four Bibles in it for the four guys, so maybe that would have been been good, but. Uh, <laughs> I uh, so yeah so that all happened and you know he moved away and and finally realized I was gonna hold on to my phone so he ran after the two girls and which was pretty scary and uh, thankfully they didn't have anything on them but water bottles so he grabbed a water bottle looked at it and threw it in the ground and and uh, got back on his bike and they rode off but it it literally happened with as fast as you know five seconds and uh, but that was you know pretty scary and there was a police officer literally from here to the door and didn't even didn't know what to do, and he just he just said, you know, there's no lights, no lights, and I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so it it was Got funny, that. yeah. I was like, you know, appreciate it, but uh, so that was that was our scary moment. But uh, you know, after that, we all kind of watched our backs a little bit closer. So, so Nate, why don't you tell us the the biggest thing you learned about yourself while you're on this trip? Yeah, well, uh, for me, uh, being in America, you know, I had it's kind of cool. I have my own personal testimony about this trip and how it changed my life, but. Um, I really didn't want to go uh, that day of and get on a plane. I really just was like, man, this, I just don't want to leave. Don't want to, just don't want to do this. You know, I, I, don't have, I don't know Spanish. I don't know, you know, I just, I like my comforts here. You know, I liked what I was doing. I'm not going to be able to play golf, like whatever, and stuff like that. So I just was getting, a lot of those things were going through my head. And I just didn't feel prepared. But uh, as soon as I hit the ground and I met my first, uh, you know, Dominican, I was like, you know, my heart really started changing very quickly, and I started realizing, you know, like what God had, you know, set me down there for, and, and uh, you know, I mean, pretty much the whole week, I didn't have one negative thought about anything, and I was just like very uh, dependent on God, and I learned how to be dependent on God because the things down there are not comfortable. I mean, you're, you're living in, humi you know, high humidity, you're sweating all the time, you know, you don't have a car, you're you know, it's dangerous. Um, the water, you can't drink the water. You can't, you know, the showers don't work sometimes. It's cold. You know, everything, pretty much everything that we have here in America, you know, in, in, in the language barrier, but, you know, everything down there compared to America was totally different. And down there, I learned how to be very dependent on God compared to, to how, you know, it showed me how much I wasn't living and dependent on God here. You know, I was li I was really, you can very, very easily in America live your life without even thinking about, you know, I got to pray to God for protection today. I got to pray to God for my needs and my, you know, my, 
you know, I just, everything that I get in America, you know, should be something that we, you know, look to God as, you know, our way of dependence, you know, God is our dependent, I mean, dependence. And so, um, you know, so I think for me, I learned that I wasn't being as dependent on God as I should have been, um, because it's very easy here to, to just go through life without even thinking of anything about it. And so that's kind of what I learned. Well, thanks, Nate. Yeah, I appreciate it. And, uh, Sorry. And I also just want to say uh, personally to thank you to, to all of you for allowing me to, to go on this trip. I, I uh, had the most amazing time in my life. So I just want to say thank you. And um, couldn't have done it um, without you guys. And I just, uh, I know I haven't been able to say thank you to everybody personally, but uh, I just want to say thank you. I just wish Nate was nicer, you know? <laughs> I wish he was a nicer guy. It's cool. No, really, I said it before, and I'll say it again. I'll keep saying it. These are the things we want to be about. Uh, being able to go out and take the gift that we've been given and talk to other people about it. And it's, it's not just in the Dominican Republic or wherever, Haiti, wherever it is. I mean, we can do this right here in Johnston, Urbandale, Grimes, wherever. But that's a great example of somebody that wasn't a big fan of where they were going and, and were changed instantly, and, and that was God. That was God. That was putting him in a place, and, and we need to be open to doing those things while we're here. We're going to continue through John, and we're just flying through the, the book of John right now, uh, but we're going to finish up the chapter two uh, that, that Nick started earlier, but let's pray first before we jump into John chapter two. Father, just thank you so much for Nate's testimony here, Lord, and how you used his life and, and how you changed his life, Lord, and I just pray that that'd be a great example to us, Lord as uh, we want to take a gift that you've given us, Lord, and we don't want to be quiet about it, and we don't want to sit on it, Lord, but we want to share it. We want to talk to others about it, and we want to be moved by those that, that need you, Lord Jesus, and move to action, Lord Jesus. So I just pray this morning as we talk about the church and we talk about your word, Father, that we are moved to action, Lord Jesus, and we enjoy this day together, Lord. So I just thank you for all you've done for us and bringing us here together this morning. In your name, amen. So a few days ago, Kyle and I were talking. I was actually supposed to be speaking next Sunday, and he was going to be speaking this Sunday. And we were talking about the two passages, and, and we were both kind of more comfortable or had more to say about the other, so we switched. Um, I didn't realize there were going to be all these Clarksons in the building today. I think I figured out why Kyle was so quick to change, because he didn't want the pressure of all the Clarksons here with him. Uh, and I get that. I'll take the heat for you, buddy. So... If they say anything about me, you tell me, all right? Uh, I don't know, though. I think it's kind of dangerous for the day we're supposed to get out of here a little early and go to Incredible Pizza for me to be the one talking. Uh, that's a dangerous thing. So if you guys don't get as much uh, go-kart time, blame Kyle, not me. Let's jump into to John chapter 2. And before I read this, have you guys, I'm going to ask you a question. You guys think about this as we're reading through this. Have you ever cared for something so much or been so passionate about something that when somebody abused it or belittled it um, or slandered it, whatever, that you became very angry? You became very upset. Maybe you freaked out. Has that ever happened to you? I want you to keep in that in mind as we read through this, this second half of chapter 2 in John because you might see somebody freak out in here, all right? John 2, verse 12. After this... He went down, Jesus, went down to, to Capernaum with his mother and brought 
brought and brothers and his disciples there and stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Very common passage that a lot of us have heard before. I want to give you a little, I want to set the stage a little bit for what's going on in here. So Jesus is going to Jerusalem because, the, because they're going to celebrate the Passover. And so people would come from all over, from very far away to come for these, this Passover festivities and to worship at the temple there in Jerusalem. And so when Jesus is coming to the temple, what he's seeing doesn't thrill him. Because he's coming to worship with the disciples there at the temple and to see what's going on. And what he sees is, is all these people selling animals in the temple courts and exchanging money. And the problem with that is these people that would come so far away, they, they didn't have room to bring their own animals because they were traveling from so far. So, so people would take advantage of that selling animals in the temple courts for sacrifice. The problem is they could charge a lot of money for that because they knew they didn't have those animals and they knew they felt obligated to sacrifice. The other thing that was going on is they had to pay a temple tax uh, and, and they would only allow them to use local currency. So when they're coming from far, far away, they, they don't have the local currency. So there are these people, they're exchanging money. But when they exchanged the money, they would charge them big amounts of money for that exchange. They were taking advantage of them right there at the temple just because they had no other way about it. And so Jesus is coming, and he's seeing all this, and he's seeing these folks there in the temple where you're supposed to be worshiping, and, and they're taking advantage of the people that are there to worship, and he kind of freaks out. If there was ever a time where someone would try to question the righteousness of God, that Jesus was on earth and he was perfect, this may be something they, they reference. Because you're seeing a man so upset that they said he grabbed a whip and he went and he threw tables over and he, he scared these people out of him and he yelled at them what they're turning his father's house into. And so if you look at that from the outside and you think, this man's supposed to be perfect and he is, ta I mean, if you saw me go into you know, Jordan Creek with a whip, you're probably thinking, that's not a righteous man right there. If I'm driving people out, that's not a good thing to be doing. But a big question I want to ask you is, what's the difference between sinful anger and righteous anger? What's the difference between sinful anger and righteous anger? Because the thing is, it's a fine line, but there's a distinct difference. How is what Jesus did righteous anger and how is what we do a lot of the time? Sinful anger. I mean, we run into this daily. 
a lot of sinful anger comes from just trivial things in our daily life. My wife would probably tell me that yesterday when I freaked out when I was making pancakes and I'm trying to flip a pancake and it falls apart on me for like the hundredth time, that me freaking out about that stupid pancake is probably not righteous anger. Maybe somebody getting upset about their cell phone and wallet being locked in a basement. Wait, why are you laughing? Is that you? (laughs) Maybe somebody freaking out about something like that's not righteous anger. See, we are faced with all these situations in daily life. Arguments we have with our wives, reacting to our kids. That's sinful anger. When we get upset about these things, when we allow ourselves to go to a place of bitterness, rage, uh, and are just mean because of, of something an emotion has caused in us, that's sinful anger. So how did Jesus display righteous anger? What's the difference? Where does the line get drawn? And I believe that this righteous anger comes from a place of injustice. When you're upset about or you're angry about injustice, you're angry about sin, and that righteous anger doesn't push you to the point of bitterness, revenge, those kind of things, there is a difference between sinful anger and righteous anger, and that's what Jesus was displaying. My wife taught me a lot about righteous anger a few years ago. She's also taught me a lot about real anger over the last few years as well. Uh, But no, she taught me a lot about righteous anger a few years ago. We talked about that a lot, about how we can get angry about things that should not happen, and we don't, it doesn't have to mean that we're sinning. And so that's a fine line, and Jesus displayed that you know, you think about things that make you angry. Children that are abused for no reason. People that take advantage of their families. People that take advantage of other people. I mean, if we saw a child being abused in front of our face, it's okay for us to be angry at that act of sin, and it's okay for us to react on that. I mean, think of what Jesus did in the temple courts. Think of what we would do if we had a child being abused right in front of us we probably go grab a whip or whatever we could find, and we try to get that person off of them. That's righteous anger. That's the line. It doesn't lead us to sin. When we see injustice and we see sin, we see people being abused, taken advantage of, or our Jesus Christ, our Father, slandered, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to get worked up. It's okay to freak out a little bit as long as that doesn't take us too far, as long as that we keep that perspective. That's what Jesus was displaying. See, they said, the disciples said, they remembered the words, and this is a cool side note. It's kind of cool what the disciples remember. They knew their word. They knew stories from the Old Testament. They remembered that as soon as he started freaking out in the temple courts there, they remembered those words from Psalms, zeal for my father's house will consume me. He was passionate about what should be taking place there. And when he saw people being taken advantage of and and things going on there that should not be going on, he knew this was a place for worship. He freaked out, and in his righteous anger, he drove them out. That was a passion for his father's house. So the second big question. You guys are going to be surprised because I'm not going to be real long today. My wife's going to be really surprised. The second question, keeping in mind that that Jesus was so passionate about what should take place in the temple, that this was a place of worship, and people should not come here 
for alternate motives. Why do we come to the place of worship? Why do we come to church? What's our motives? Is it because our sole purpose, our main focus is to come and connect with our Father and to worship Him and to remember what He's done? Is that our sole purpose? Or is our main motive for interaction and for social experiences and, and to be seen so people know we go to church? Yeah, I go to Cornerstone every Sunday. Do we come out of habit? Because that's just what we've done every day, every Sunday, for most of our lives. But this is what we do. What's our motive? Why are we here? Why are we here this morning? Because you know what? The fellowship aspect's not bad. I mean, we're going to go to Incredible Pizza, and um, for the most part, we'll have a lot of fun. And that's good fellowship. And God wants that. He wants that here. There's a reason why we have coffee out. It's because we want people interacting. It's not bad to form a habit of going to church on Sunday. And it's not bad for the people in our lives to know that's where we're going. But when those become the reasons why we are here on Sunday morning, or those become the reasons that we ever involve ourselves with church, then we're missing it. Jesus' passion was because people were taking advantage of his father's house, and they were using it for the wrong reasons. They were there for the wrong reasons. That made him angry. So then when he looks at our lives, what's our reason for being here? Is it because our husband asked us to come? Is it because our wife asked us to come? Is it just because we want our kids here? So we're going to come sit and be here so our kids could be here. Is it for those other reasons I mentioned earlier? Or are we here because we can't wait to get here on Sunday morning and worship our Father? Our main purpose in life to respond to someone who gave us that gift we were talking about that Nate was so excited to go to Dominican once he was there uh, to share people to share with people that gift that was given us is our main goal to come here and connect or do we have other motives that's a big question for us to ask this morning I think it's really cool that we see Jesus as a man on earth and see how he responds to things and get to see, you know, this is a great story of how how you can see he really was a man that got worked up by things. That was real genuine and sincere and he had passion for things. I think that's so cool when we get to see that, that he just wasn't there, this righteous person just going through until he, he, he got to the cross. That you saw what got him worked up. You saw that what what got him excited, what got him passionate, and that zeal for his father's house consumed him. And he chased those people out of there because he wanted to set that stage. He wanted to make sure that they were there for the right reasons, and people saw that. Not everybody responded to it the right way, obviously. But that's what I want you guys to be challenged by, is first we look at our father. We look at how Jesus was on earth and how he responded to things as a man. And that can help us. I mean, we can understand that that's okay for us to get worked up about things that aren't right. But it's not okay for us to take advantage of the place we go to worship our Father. That we really need to come here and be motivated to do that because we love Him. And those other reasons for coming, they fall behind that one main goal and one main purpose. I'm going to have the band come up. 
And we're going to close with one final thought here in this chapter before Kyle uh, continues on next Sunday in chapter 3. If you look at that last part um, of John chapter 2, we'll start here in, in verse 17. His disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your father's house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So these Jews are very upset with him because he went in and he, he basically threw all these people out making money. And probably a lot of them were making money off the people making money. Um, and so they're upset and they're saying, what authority do you have coming in here and doing this? Freaking out on all these people and, and scattering them. What authority? Show us something. And what they think he's talking about is actually destroying this temple that they're at that they say take 46 years to build and that he's going to just recover it in three days. The cool thing is we're just a few days from when he's actually going to be on the cross. And he says, destroy this temple, my body. And it will it'll return in three days. It'll rise in three days. They missed it. They didn't get what he was talking about. But we are just a few days away from when he's actually going to do this. And he's saying, destroy me, and I'll rise again in three days. We will rebuild it. We will defeat sin and death. And it says the disciples remembered that when he was risen from the dead. Remembered those words that just happened a few days earlier. That example he set. So here he is, righteous anger, running in, scaring everybody out. The Jews are challenging him. And what does he talk about? Destroy this temple and I'm going to rise again in three days. I will show you that miraculous sign. And this is the reason why we come to worship. is because he was able to take that body that was destroyed and rise again in three days, defeating sin and death for us, for those people right there. And that's, that's our motivation as we come before the table here and take communion. We take the, the bread as a symbol of that body, that temple that he said was going to be broken. What a cool perspective of what somebody did for us clear back there that's still so powerful to our lives today that he defeated sin and death for us, that that temple, that body was destroyed and he rose again three days later. He rebuilt it better. And so as we come before this table and before we go on and have all our fun together as a church later, this is where we come before our Father and we worship. We come to the table and we remember what he did for us. And we give him praise and we worship him. This is the meaning for coming here. It's to worship our Father, to thank Him, to praise Him, and to connect with Him. And we forget about everything else. So as we come before this table, I just challenge you. Get your heart and your mind right before God this morning. 
get your perspective right and your motives right. And just sit there or stand or whatever you do and, and connect with God here this morning. And come before the table and take that communion and just be so thankful for what he did for you. And let's continue that on. Let's remember that perspective that we're supposed to keep. Father, just thank you so much for these words, Lord. And this challenge this morning, Lord, out of John. And I just pray that you would help us, Lord, when we, we come before things that, that make us upset, Lord, that we would understand what righteous anger is. And when we come before things that make us upset that we shouldn't be upset about, that we understand the anger we shouldn't have, Lord. Most of all, I pray that when we come here on Sunday mornings or Wednesdays or whenever it is, that our motivation for being here is right. And that it's all about you, Lord. Because you love us. Because you gave everything for us, Lord Jesus. So I just pray that we get that right right now, Lord. And that we're able to connect with you this morning, Lord. Just thank you again for your words. And we just love you. We praise you in your name. Amen. Let's see.